My name is Gary Manis. I'm what Pastor Jeff will look like in 25 years. <laughs> so take a good look. This is him, all right? Uh, happy Father's Day to you dads who are here, and I include myself in that. It's great to be a dad. And uh, I just have one question. We moved back to Albin after being up in Rapple J, Montana for 18 months filling in at a church. And as soon as we moved back, Jeff took a sabbatical. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, anyway, he's off on sabbatical and uh, the Lord is refreshing him. Keep praying for he and his family that God will bless them as they prepare to come back uh, in August ready to go. And so we're thankful for that, I guess, a little bit later in September. So... We, we look forward to that. We're in the middle of, or in the midst of, a series of messages on the minor prophets. Taylor began first with Hosea, Andy last week with Joel, and my responsibility is the book of Amos. Amos. The, the, the minor prophets are really minor, not in, in the measure of their ministry, but because they're, they're much shorter than the other books of the other prophets. And so they are minor prophets with a major message. This morning, we're going to look at Amos, and I'm going to just begin with two short verses that introduce the book to us, Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will be on the screen, as they say every Sunday. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. Stop at guest services on your way out, and they'll put one in your hands absolutely free of charge. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. This is what he saw and heard. In visions, God gave to Amos prophecies concerning not only his own people, but the surrounding nations. It's an unusual way to begin, but God chose to work through Amos to begin, first of all, speaking a prophecy against Damascus. And he says, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again. Then he moved on to Gaza, then Tyre, then Edom. And I'm thinking to myself, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were Amos was prophesying, probably were thinking, yeah, Lord, go get them. You know, it's kind of like we say, Lord, those people in California, go get them. But then the Lord moves a little closer to Nevada. Yeah, Lord, they're still needed. Then Utah. And then all of a sudden we recognize he's kind of zeroing in. And that's exactly what he does. He gets around in chapter 2 to Moab, then Judah, and then Israel. At this time in the history of God's people, there's a divided kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem and the northern kingdom of Samaria with its capital in Bethel. And this is a prophecy about Judah, yes, but mostly about the northern kingdom of Samaria. And God says, you have sinned again and again. Even though I have sent my prophets 
to you. And he speaks to them about their oppression, about their injustice, about their hollow worship. And from the rest of that, of the book all the way to the end, God is speaking a prophecy against them saying, you must change the way you're living. Come back to me and live. And God was patient another 80 years with the northern kingdom of Israel, but they failed to repent. They failed to respond. And 80 years later, the army of Assyria overran the northern kingdom of Israel. And really, those tribes were never heard from again. The Assyrians sent people back of their own nationality to inhabit the land of, of Samaria. And that's one of the reasons why eventually in history we find out that the Jews that lived in Judea and Judah hated the Samaritans because they were from Assyria. And so God speaks all of that to the nation of Israel. But this morning, I don't want to focus on that message. This was really a challenge for me in preparing for this series of messages on Amos. I, I said, Lord, what do you want to say to us? And the more I sought and the more I looked, it became clear to me that this wasn't for us today about the message as much as it is about the man, the man Amos. And so that brings us to the big idea for, for this message today, and that's this. God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Now, I don't know if that seems kind of surprising to you, but when I think about the omnipotent God and all that he can do, why would he choose to use us? And yet he did. God uses people to accomplish his purpose. Did you notice what it said about Amos? We know very little about him. His name means burden bearer. But other than that, we know little about him, except that he came from the southern kingdom of Judah, from a town called Tekoa, which was 12 miles south of Jerusalem. But his occupation was this. He was a shepherd. Now, that may not seem significant, but in that culture, that was kind of the bottom end of the social structure. To be a shepherd was not to be high and mighty or to be something to be necessarily proud about. He was a shepherd that cared for sheep, and yet God used him. So that really brings us to the question I want to ask today. And the big question is this. If God used Amos, a shepherd, how can God use me? That ought to be the question that all of us as the followers of Christ want to know. How can God use me? And the answer, I believe, is found in some verses that Amos says of himself over in Amos chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. Listen to what Amos says in reply to Amaziah, who was a prophet in northern kingdom of Samaria, who was telling him, get out of town. Man, get out of here. Go back to where you're from. This is what Amos replies to him. But Amos replied, I'm not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd. Think about the wording there and the way he recognized his position. I'm just a shepherd. And I take care of sycamore fig trees. The fruit of the sycamore fig tree could be used about three times a year. It would come to maturity. And it was really used for the poorer people as some of their food that they took in. So he says, I'm just a shepherd and I take care of sycamore fig trees. Verse 15. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. And then the first part of verse 16 says this. Now then, listen 
to this message from the Lord. How can God use me? Three things I see here in these verses that Amos uses, and a little bit later we're going to look over in the New Testament to an illustration from Jesus. But the first one is this. If God's going to use me, there must be a call. A call. Do you see it there in verse 15? But the Lord called me away from my flock. Now, this wasn't his full-time occupation being a prophet. In fact, we don't really know how long he was in the northern kingdom of Samaria, but it couldn't have been very long because he ultimately would have gone back to caring for the flock. He said, I'm not a professional prophet. I wasn't trained this way. I'm simply here because God called me. When you see Pastor Jeff up here on Sunday mornings, you recognize that God called him to Cheyenne to plant a church. But that wasn't the initial call that God gave to Jeff. You understand that? The initial call that comes to any of us is the call to salvation. God would not have called Jeff to be a pastor anywhere if he had not been a follower of Jesus Christ. So way back years ago, way back in the dark ages when Jeff was just a young man or a young boy, God called him to salvation. That's the initial call. But then God calls us to surrender, sanctification. God calls us to service. God sometimes calls us to sacrifice. And so if God is going to use me, it's going to begin with a call, and that call comes from God. There's a second thing I see here that I think is significant as well. It's found in the first part of verse 16, and that is a commitment. Look at what it says. Now then, listen to this message from the Lord. What happened? There was a call extended to Amos. But when a call is extended, what does it require? It requires a response. It requires an obedient heart that says, yes, I will go. And so when God called Pastor Jeff to salvation, he said yes. When God ultimately called him to be a pastor, and, I, and Becky and I both remember the day it happened. We were preparing to go to bed for the evening. We were in our bedroom in bed, and Jeff was home from college for the weekend, not to see us, but to see Sabrina. We, she lived in the same town. He came into our bedroom and he said these words. He said, I have something to tell you and you're probably going to be upset at me. And we thought, what in the world is he going to tell us? You know, uh, something's terrible going on. He said, I believe God's called me to be a pastor and I'm going to have to change majors in college. He was an accounting major, which was a mind boggling thing to us because he was horrible at math. <laughs> How can you be an accountant, you know? So, and we said to him, why would we be upset with you? We simply want you to do what God's calling you to do. And so God changed the direction of his life. Then God called him from college to pastor a little church in Ringwood, Oklahoma. God called him from there to be a youth pastor in Gillette, Wyoming. And then amazing to us, really it was amazing to us, God called him to leave the security of that place, to come to Cheyenne and to plant a church. And look what God has done. Amen? What a blessing. Because... God calls. It's an amazing thing when we respond to the call of God with a commitment. And Amos says, now, then, listen to this message from the Lord. 
God would never ask me to do something like that, probably some of us are saying this morning. God would never ask me to, to leave my place and go someplace else to give a message like Amos or to pastor a church like Jeff, and you're probably right. For most of us, that would not take place. But God does call us. As the followers of Christ, he calls us, and that call requires a commitment. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. The Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, chapter 2, is the account of the first recorded miracle of Jesus. He's at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And this is the third thing I want us to see this morning. There's a call that comes from God. There's a commitment that's required of us. But there are some conditions that come along with the call. Look at John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, reading down through verse 11. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus, uh, some would say he was rather blunt with his mom. He was simply saying, this is not my wedding. It's not our family. It's not our deal. My time has not yet come. And yet, I love his mother's response. She says in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. That's amazing to me. He had just said, hey, it's not my responsibility. It's not our problem. She says, do whatever he tells you. And can I just say this? That's the heart of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That simple phrase, if you'll just do whatever he tells you. Amen? Look at verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Now note this. And his disciples believed in him. There's a call. How can God use me? A call comes from him. This is what I want you to do. It may be significant. It may be very simple, but the call requires a commitment, a willingness to go, to do, to say, to be what he calls us to be. But there are conditions. And I want to just share with you what I believe those conditions are about the call. When, when Mary said, do whatever he tells you, that does not give us carte blanche to think we can do anything and say it's in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
there are three things I want you to notice that will always be a part of the whatever he calls you to do. You ought to get these down. They're not on the, the notes, but you ought to take notes and write these down. You need to understand this. When he, when he says, she says, do whatever he tells you, the whatever will first of all be scriptural. That was a good place for an amen. I mean, the first thing you could always note is this. Whatever he tells you to do, it's not going to violate the teaching of Scripture. So when someone came to me in counseling and said, the Lord told me that I needed to divorce my wife, the first thing I can say was, the Lord didn't tell you that. Ouch, Pastor Gary. No, the Lord didn't tell him that. That was something that they wanted to do, and they were saying the Lord had told them to do it. The Lord doesn't tell you to go out and steal. The Lord doesn't tell you to murder your neighbor. The Lord doesn't tell you to do those things. So the whatever will always be scriptural. Mark it down. You can count on it. You can trust the Lord and his word. The second thing that the whatever will always be is this. It will be understandable. Now listen, I don't mean by understandable that you'll always get the why of what he's called you to do. Do you get that? Uh, You won't always understand the why of what he calls you to do, but you will always understand the what that he's called you to do. He said to Amos, here are the visions, go and prophesy. Jesus said to the servants two simple things, take the pots, fill them with water. Now, that's pretty understandable, isn't it? And then he said, after they'd done that, now dip some out and take it to the master of the, of the banquet. And that's exactly what they did. So what, the whatever that Jesus tells us to do will always be understandable in the what. Listen, I'll tell you, there have been times when I did not understand what God was calling me to do, the why of it, but I always understood clearly the what of it. Most of you know that just 18 months ago, we left Albin, Wyoming and the church here at Element to go up to a little place in Montana called Rappelejay. Rappelejay, Montana. And I, I thought Albin was small. Albin is 165 people. Rappelejay was 60 people in the whole town. We were the only church in town, so we had a good thing going, you know. If you wanted to go to church in Rappelejay, you had to come to our church. I knew this. I had retired from active ministry, but I knew that God was calling me to go there. I didn't understand all the whys about it, but I knew very clearly he called me to go there. I went with the understanding, Becky and I went with the understanding, that we would go for a minimum of six months and see how things worked out, and then we would stay as the Lord directed us. And so we did that. We left Albin, moved up to Rappelejay, and began to minister in that little town, in that little community, and what a wonderful time we had. Six months came and went. They said, we want you to stay. We said, we'll be willing to stay. And we were thinking, well, maybe up to three years we'll stay. But you know what? About December of last year, God began to make clear to me again that our time in Rappelejay was coming to a close. I didn't understand why. We were ready to stay. We were very happy. We loved the people. We loved the church. We were well provided for. It was a great place to be. And so we, we didn't understand why, but I knew very clearly that God was saying, the what is it's time to go. And so I told the church that we were going to be there through the end of April. That would be another few months. It would make a, 